HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. This is Meant to be Eaten on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Coral Lee, and joining me today are Sarah Lynn Pablo and Natalia Roxas, the two amazing ladies behind Filipino Kitchen. The blog works to raise the profile of Filipino food and community in the U.S. and beyond through recipes, chef and restaurant write-ups, public events, and pop-ups. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having us, Coral. Hi, Coral. Yeah, I should mention they're joining us on the phone, so there might be a little delay. Um, So just to cover our bases, can we begin with the Ivanka Trump marshmallow hot dog picture that went viral and what that produced? Oh, the marshmallow and a hot dog. Yeah. Um, That part is basically uh, marshmallows and hot dogs. um, I mean, it was a little bit, it went viral because Ivanka Trump like served it in his, in her children's party, on her kid's birthday party. And so basically, um, you know, friends of ours in the media asked us for some context. And honestly, that is a, in the Philippines, that is a staple in any children's party. You'll find out in the table with the red hot dog and a tutti frutti marshmallow on top, um, stuck either on the side of pineapple or a cabbage. And, you know, that's what kids would get and just to, to nibble on and eat. It's a salty, sweet um, kind of thing. But... If we really want to dig deep on it, you know, processed food was brought by the during the American occupation in the Philippines. So hot dogs and um, marshmallows were brought alongside the ra- rationing for, um, for the military. Mm-hmm. And how exactly did it get to Ivanka Trump's children's birthday party? Is because <laughs> her kid's nanny is Filipina. Hmm. Yeah, when... Um a friend told me this over breakfast, and I just go, wait, what? Marshmallow and hot dog? But I think um, 
this kind of goes to show which something that you said is that the conversation in mainstream media with Filipino food is still very incomplete. And why do you think that is? Well, I think it's just, it's, our history is so long. If we have 7,000 islands, there's more than a hundred different um, languages that we speak. We have communities all over the world. So to try to encompass that in a soundbite is like kind of impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes a, it's a long time to, um, to tell those stories. And it also is a long time for us ourselves to process it. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that has something to do with, um, the fact that it hasn't been talked about or it hasn't been talked about in a very complete way um, in mainstream media. And so the same friend actually told me, um, she works for WBZ, she told me that her friend was doing the segment with you guys where you guys went shopping at a, was it a Filipino grocery store? Yes. And so can you tell me about the process of that? It sounds really fun and you just, you, you made food or what'd you do? I mean, that experience, we lasted, like, right about four to five hours inside a grocery store and going aisle per aisle. And, I mean, honestly, Sarah and I kind of, like, scoped out the grocery store and gave her, like, a top ten list uh, with explanations and, like, what it would be used for. But every time we went down another aisle, um, same friend would tell us, like, you know, would ask us, like, amazing questions about it. And also, this grocery store is a pseudo community center mm-hmm. and a restaurant, like, food court all in one because yeah. there are different entities inside this grocery store. And it just rolls down to the conversation. And honestly, every time Sarah Lynn and I would be asked, what is Filipino food? We normally answer with, it's history on a plate. Um kind of pinpoint us to one dish and we can go down the timeline of how that dish evolved. And it was the same inside the grocery store. Like, you know, there was a whole aisle of vinegars and. Yeah. It was interesting to see it from her outsider eyes. Like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, why is this here? Or, you know, why are there, you know, Chinese or Malaysian or other ethnic foods here? Or like, what's this brand or what's that brand? Or like, what's up with all the cheese that you guys got or certain flavors (laughs) of, you know, ice cream or um, things like that. So it was just interesting to kind of reflect on it um, through her questions um, because I think sometimes Natalia and I know a lot, but sometimes we don't know as much as we think we do. (laughs) And someone like Monica comes along and asks us these questions and it's like, oh, yeah, there's a lot there. (laughs) And it's only one product. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I... uh... I wanted to make these um, kind of like cold weather soups from my childhood. And so I went to Chinatown and I went to like the soup elixir aisle and there are like four different types of almonds, but they all just say almond on it, but they obviously are very different. And I I was thinking like, this is impossible to navigate if you didn't like grow up with this kind of stuff. Um, Exactly. Yeah. So, um, when we first got started talking about this, um, I think you experienced a lot of the same frustrations that I do, where conversation about cultural appropriation and food doesn't push past what is authenticity, what is appropriation, um, and you know, using buzzwords like provenance and legitimacy. And how do you think we can kind of make it not so black and white? Honestly, I think we need to really hone in more about the people behind the food Mm -hmm. versus pegging a whole culture in a monolith. Um, We are not a monolith. 
I don't think there's any culture or any ethnicity that is a monolith um, because everybody has different experiences. Um, I know this is not very much a unique answer or I am generalizing it too much, but in all honesty, there's once again, there's 7,000 islands. Each of those islands has its own history. Each, each of one of those islands has towns that then have more history, different types of history. And I think we can go past that conversation once we talk about the people behind it, the farmers behind it, the advocates behind it, the people who support the local product or the local economy. Um, I think that's how we kind of would humanize mm-hmm. um, humanize this conversation instead of making it black and white. Mm-hmm. And so how do you do that through Filipino Kitchen? What are some recent events or uh, or how do you aspire to do that, I guess I should say? I mean, basically, food is a conduit for us to talk about our history and our people. So, like, it's it's not, which is a very different perspective than you'd see in most mainstream media where, you know, often food is fetishized and, like, you know, set very far aside from the people and history that it comes from. So, in every, everything we do, like, we always try to say, who made this? Where was it from? Why did it get there? Um, what was the history behind a dish being a certain way? If it has a Spanish name, what's that about? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we also stand on the shoulders of giants as well, like Amy Bessa and Romy Derotan and Dorian Fernandez, who've written extensively about our food and our culture um, and, like, making those connections between um, our present and our past through food. So um, it's really about kind of always having a focus really on ourselves. Like, what what is this about? Not just as an ingredient, say, or as a technique, but, like, what role does this play, like, socially in a family or, like, in a person's history or... Um, you know, amongst a, a group of people or community of people. Um, so as long as the, the focus is centered on on us, then I think everything else becomes natural. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen um, that new show, Ugly Delicious, on Netflix? It's bookmarked. <laughs> uh, we have not seen it just yet, but we saw the preview last night. It looked very interesting. Um, yeah, can you tell us about yeah. it? Yeah, okay, well... It's basically David Chang doing what I'm trying to do with my podcast, but he has money and he has awesome guests, so he gets to have a bigger <laughs> splash with it. But he um, he was interviewing this um, Italian-American making pizza in Brooklyn, and he was getting right. kind of salty because he was like, why is Italian-American food so beloved in this country, but Asian-American food is not? You know, it's like looked down upon, and how do you feel? You know, when people think of American food, some people even think like pizza or not Asian things, right? So how do you feel like Filipino-American food plays a role um, or just how do you think it's perceived? I think that's a really interesting example. I mean, like, you know, to look through the lens of Italian-Americans, for example, or Irish-Americans or mm-hmm. you know, other immigrant waves who came in, like, you know, obviously as far as um, physical features or racial like, racial features, um they're a lot more, they're, they were at one point more distinguished from the mainstream, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. America, and now less so. So um, I think I think maybe once people, and I don't know, like, racism is not, 
is a huge thing mm-hmm. that we also Asian Americans as well Filipino Americans and Pacific Islanders mm-hmm. do deal with. And so um, I think it's very much tied up in that, like people's notions of ethnic food, specifically Asian ethnic food, which, you know, Asia, of course, is like a billion different countries um, and subcultures within, but it's this perceived as this um, cheap ethnic food. Savage. Savage, yeah, all, you know, primitivism, all of that. And so um, you kind of, you get to really the heart of, like, how we as people perceive and treat each other, like, what is the power structure, immigration. I mean, like, those, like, big things, right? When you start <laughs> to think about, like, why is pizza and sunset different, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, also, just to piggyback from what Sarah said, I mean, there's also an approach. I mean, there's the sassy approach of things, like, sassy meaning we as Filipino Americans can throw at people's faces to be like, well, to be honest, we have been here 200 years before this country became the United States. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Galleon Trade. But at the same time, once again, what Sarah had said, it's it's like comparing apples and durian together. Why is like apples being more accepted than a durian? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they're both good people have this need to want to simplify, like, why isn't this like this? When mm-hmm. it's like, eh, you know, like, history is complicated, you know, like, like the Italian-Americans have their story, and, like, Filipino-Americans, we have our story. So. And also to play off of that, I think also the reality of, like, a lot of our history, at least uh, for Filipino-Americans and Philippine history itself, has been eradicated. And I think we need to really realize and really come to terms of the type of cultural genocide that we have experienced um, and yet not really fully forming what that is. And that's why it's, it's really hard to kind of, like, pinpoint. Like, once again, it's like, what, like you know, there's no, there's no um, standardization of this is your starter pack to be a Filipino, <laughs> nor there's a standard pack to be an Italian-American or any blank American. Um, we all come from our different stories and different backgrounds and different truths. So I think that's where it's really difficult to people to grasp it, especially when you're trying to forge it in the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Can we actually backtrack a little bit? You said um, Filipino-American history is got, got eradicated. Can you talk a bit about that? I mean, because of... Because of occupations, colonizations, mm-hmm. uh, like when the Spanish came and the first thing they did was like literally turn us to be Christians or Catholics, and then what's the first thing they do? They eradicate our indigenous practices. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, it's then a term of survival to, you know, well, if I keep on doing my the practices that I'm doing, I'm going to die because this white man's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So either I literally, it's like, I mean, for people who watch Game of Thrones out there, it's literally... <laughs> submitting people to bend a knee or you're going to be toast by the dragon. So um, a lot of our files, a lot of our documents, a lot of our, a lot of our history has been eradicated that way because of, because of it. Besides natural, um, besides natural phenomena. Yeah, and I think when Natalia says eradicate, just a bill on that, it's, it's not like it's erased, but it's like not not document like written down, cast down. It's um, like not widely celebrated. It's not you know 
um, I mean, history is complicated, right? So mm-hmm. whoever te- whoever gets to live tells the story of what actually happened or, you know, quote unquote, actually. So, um, so those kinds of things, I, I would say the, the flip side to what you, you mentioned about like, you know, just needing to survive is that some of these traditions were, did survive. They may have evolved into something else that was more subversive. Like for example, with Catholicism, you know, a lot of our spiritual practices with ancestor worship um, carried on still under the guise of Catholicism, but like worshiping different saints. But like we, our, our Filipino Roman Catholicism is is different. Um, so it, it's and, and in our food too. Like we, you know, mm-hmm. obviously we, we pass our history and culture along through our food. Um, but it's it's um, you know through living in diaspora. Um, after war, after colonization, you know, it's definitely a challenge to reclaim and also, you know, celebrate and make whole those, those stories. So, um, and how do you really make sense of that when it comes to mainstream media, when they ask you, yeah. what is Filipino food? And mm-hmm. it's like, how do you really put that in a, yeah. how do you pigeonhole something like that? Mm-hmm. You can't. Yeah, I was actually going to say the same exact thing. I feel like then um, this isn't unique to Filipino culture, but food then is kind of a boon, right? right? It it acts as this natural way or kind of only way to carry heritage through time or carry on a history. Um, And so how do you think, um, going back, is how do you think Filipino food so uniquely supports its community, both those in diaspora and those in the homeland? I think, first of all, it's like, Food taps into memories of mm-hmm. places that are maybe not where we are right now or time that has happened before. So um, so there's that immediate sensory, you know, it's, it's fulfilling to your stomach. Mm-hmm. It triggers something in your mind and in your heart that, like, brings you back to, you know, people, families from the past or memories or certain um, celebrations or um, happy or sad that um, that's very special. And I have to say that's true, too, with our different arts as well, like different Philippine arts. You know, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to get it out there that it's, you know, food is the only art that's true. That's no. far from the truth. Yeah. But, I mean, food is really special in that it's something that you ingest and literally integrate into yourself mm-hmm. and, that, um, and that you connect it through... Uh, you know, kind of space and time, honestly, and, and with this, like, sensory experience that you have. So, um, so yeah, food is, food is definitely something that taps into memory. And then, um, you know, then there's also, like, the health aspect of it. Um, so one thing that we're exploring in a series that we're doing with a, um, a Filipino immigration empowerment group here called The Fire in Chicago um, is a series called Usapang Fadgatin. So it's, a monthly series where we basically get together as a community and we talk about like how our food can support us in multiple ways. So food is memory, food is nourishment. Um, you know, there's this very um, overarching idea that Filipino food is unhealthy for mm-hmm. you. Um, and we believe that nothing could be farther from the truth. Like, yeah, there's certain things that you could do with our, our food or really any food that would make it unhealthy. But um, on the balance, um, I think when we think about our food in a really critical lens, like honestly through like socioeconomic, uh, spatial, um, 
and even like its physical properties, like how our food can support us in those many ways. Um, these are spaces that we can do that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And um, with that, with that being said, just to piggyback off of like you know what Sarah says, you know, um, I think it once again it kind of like loops that conversation. And how do you really put that on, uh, or how do you really translate that in Western, like, yeah. or like mainstream media on how, why does it make sense when you have a tummy ache for you to ingest like freaking gallons of, you know, ginger tea with like mm-hmm. honey and lemon because, you know, we, we just did it. <laughs> we just didn't know what it was yeah. for, but it made you feel better afterwards. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's very much like a uh, like ancestral knowledge passed down that, you know, we think of as, you know, quote unquote, just our grandmother's recipes or just our parents' recipes, but they served a very specific purpose. Um, and so those are the things too, that we're trying to, um, trying to look at together. And also on top of that, not just look at together, research about it. Yeah. And, you know, Sarah and I try to, try to really bring that conversation in and like kind of, preserve it in a way, um, in our own little way of, like, how we do it through our events, um, through our social media. I mean, our social media is very vast um, to the to the point of, like, not not just we use it to, to educate, but also, like, you know, um, keeping up with the current things of, like, supporting local businesses around mm-hmm. our town yeah. to highlighting people that we meet. To other Filipinos and diaspora, yeah. like doing similar things that we are, yes. food or mm-hmm. other arts, yeah. And you know, trying to be a support um, of that and try to hold that space and community with other people. Um, but other than that, that's how we try to propagate our message, or like this. That's how we try to integrate a lot of these conversations in our different events. It could be just a pop-up. It could be a series. It could be our yeah. festival. I mean, everything from, like, menus, like, selecting, you know, what goes on the menu, including by buy-in, which is our ancient uh, Philippines, well, before Philippines would be called the Philippines, pre-Philippines, uh, pre-Philippines script, um, mm-hmm. you know, just just trying to push, push, like, do different things to, mm-hmm. like, literally have different ways of access for people to um, understand their heritage. This is Meant to be Eaten. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. From papayas and samosas to reishi mushrooms, if it's something that sounds delicious, chances are you'll find the freshest, best version of it at Whole Foods Market. They have more than 400 stores across the country, so if you consider pizza its own food group or just can't imagine when avocado toast wasn't a thing, Whole Foods Market has you covered. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store near you. Whole Foods Market. Whatever makes you whole. This is Meant to be Eaten. I'm speaking with Sarah and Natalia of Filipino Kitchen today. And we were just talking about how uh, Filipino Kitchen is working to kind of support their local community. Um, 
Can you talk about your latest event? It was like about loving yourself shamelessly, which I really, I was reading the Facebook uh, event bio and it was amazing. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, it was called uh, Walangi Yacht, Love Yourself, Love Your Food. Um, it was in collaboration with a Filipino-American young professional um, group in the Chicago chapter called Unipro. Um, yeah, basically it was around just like, unabashedly loving yourself in all the ways that you can and through food. So um, this poet, Barbara Jean Reyes um, from Oakland, she'd actually just, I think, feel like this was just a, a wonderful coincidence, but she just shared with us on Twitter, like she just tagged us on this uh, poem um, called Brown Girl Consumed Filipino Food Revised. And it was just like, whoa, this should totally be the inspiration. Um, so then our sparks were going off with our collaborators, like how can we kind of envision this? You know, Natalia was looking at the poem to kind of, you know, figure out what the menu would be. We had an illustrator over at the time just hanging out, another Filipino-American, super talented, uh, David Beltran. In the middle of our meeting, <laughs> he just says like, Hey, do you want me to illustrate your menu? And we're like, wait, Aww. what? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and and then we just pulled from, like, different um, Philam artists who we know to, you know, bring together, like, really, like, this loving celebration of our culture through our arts um, last Sunday afternoon. So, and even collaborating with, uh, I know, I don't, I don't know of any pop-ups that has done this before. But even just like collaborating yeah. with um, a local local sex toy shop called um, Pleasure Chest. the Pleasure Chest, and one of our great friends who works there, um, you know, kind of told us that you know they've been wanting to branch out in different community events, and we invited them in this space. And honestly, that room is very intergenerational. Yeah. Like there were grandmas and uncles and moms and dads. There's young couples. There's people who are just like, you know, in high school and to be exposed to an event such as um, Walanghia or No Shame was really a fulfilling thing. It was mm. it was like such a great collaboration with Unipro because we then pushed the envelope of mm. what the norm is. Yeah. Like we've seen some OG grandmas coming up to the ta- this pleasure chest table and inquiring about sex toys. And it's like... <laughs> You know, kind of normalizing that mm-hmm. that conversation and not literally, you know, kind of snicker in the in the corner there and mm-hmm. pointing at grandma maliciously. Yeah. Or sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is just funny. But you know, creating that safe space, the performances was amazing. Um, you know, in the middle of it, in the middle of the kitchen service, Sarah and our um, our wonderful friend Chris, uh, Chris, you know, collaborated on the poem and just like recited the poem. And it was really mind-blowing. It was a great experience to deconstruct the the poem and yeah. find aspects of it that was part of the, to be our menu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it was a great event. Yeah, could you actually share that poem with us? Um, yeah, sure, I can read it. Is that what you mean? Yes, please, yeah. Okay, yes, and I, I did get uh, Barbara Jane's blessing again, and it was so wonderful that she... Um, let us share this so many times and thank you for asking us to share it again definitely so it, it the title is uh, brown girl consumed filipino food poem revised 
Dear Brown Girl, this is just to say, motherfuckers love your food. Bon Appetit says the latest craze is popcorn and gummy bears in your hollow hollow, and you're looking at this sideways as others not in gratitude. Andrew Zimmern also swears by seasick. You're the latest craze. You're an episode of Bizarre Foods. He says Americans can't get right with creamy pig brains, so he alters your recipe to make it acceptable. He exits the metropolis in search of the authentic. He slurps worms dipped in vinegar pulled straight from a fucking tree, and then he pales at your dirty ice cream? What a dick. You are parts unknown, and so Anthony Bourdain also comes to back for your balut. He throws back his head and swallows Emily Dickinson's beaks and feathered hope. Next time, he'll sit this strange, salty little bird. He'll crunch this little baby's bones, wipe his mouth, and the world will learn. Filipinos are so poor, they'll eat anything. A people with so much resilience. Your archipelago is a culinary adventure. You should be so grateful. You are on our map. Remember when your classmates teased your stinky lunch, your marrow, bones, soup, potatoes, and rice, your spoon and fork? Remember when they told you that you eat dog food and you didn't know how to go home and cry to your mom because she was just too busy working? Well, fuck all that because now you're cool. Your pork belly sizzling and cast iron cool. Your organic free trade leche de coco simmering cool. Your edgy pecans and aromatics. Your umami. Your pricey specialty grocery items spilling out of suburban supermarkets ethnic aisle. Your urban food trucks at an art show cool. Your vegan man bun hipster cool. Your deconstructed lumpia cool. Your wine pairings light years from the go-to passe Riesling's yawn. You're cooler than California rolls and chop suey and people freaking the fuck out over Kung Pao Chicken at Panda Express don't know how cool you are. They're gag reflexing at the inner three third world when you eat. They'll never know the 12-hour work shifts of TNT sweating into high-end catered meals for lesser than minimum wage under the table and never mind subsistence. They'll never know about street kids scrounging for pug pug. They'll never know the recipes of our cataracted grandmas who stayed home and never learned to read or the ones who can still recite Jose Rizal's Mi Ultima Adios from the Heart as a Milaga stews. Jos Mio, the chismes around tables of Ichigadi leaves and roots and malongai fronds, elders manicure his hands like Luya. Sigina Anak, they say, clean these tables and we'll play Mahjong later. Just Mio Talaga, our spinster titas who single-handedly took the sharpest machetes to the pig, to the pigs and to some men's throats, bled those tasty motherfuckers' hands Let's hand-rolled tobacco with their tongues, with their chorus of boning knives, these works of art no pe- Metropolitan Museum would ever show. Joke Mio, all the breaking necks and bleeding, all the flaying and the cutting in Bambahai, chinelas, gold rings, anting anting, all this after morning mass, all this before noon. This is where you told them about your broken heart. This is where they said, ay babae, he was never good enough for you. This is where they wiped away your, wiped away your tears and said, Anak, you are a good girl. Fuck these first world gourmands swearing Filipino cuisine is the next big bandwagon to ride to the bank. Fuck their rebranding for bourgeois western palettes. Fuck all that, girl. Go on, get down with your kamayan and your banana leaves, your slurping fish heads, your extra rice to soak up the crab butter, your chicharron and San Miguel with your crooning titos, your dad's canned legal sardines, salted eggs, and suyo cook on the backyard grill, your green mangoes with guinea-san bagoong, deer, deep red, so sweet, so cool. That that was so amazing. <laughs> it feels so amazing to say, like, mm-hmm. like fuck y'all, bodying it, like the like <laughs> in my chest. It's, it's, uh, it's such a great, great poem. Mm-hmm. Um, and we 
introduce this by saying that, I mean, like, this gets back to the point we were talking about earlier where, like, you know, this poem directly points at, like, you can't separate our food from our people. Like, mm-hmm. that's it. So um, it's never going to be this um, manicured, Western palette, bourgeois, modified thing. Like, it can't be. It can't be. Mm-hmm. Actually, so when you sent me this and I briefly get, glanced over it, it reminded me, uh, it took me back to this memory that I actually had not thought about for a while. But um, in sixth grade, um, the most popular boy in school started AIM or IMing me. And we like, we're AIM dating, right? And then I was feeling so good about myself because I'm like a really, I was like the one Asian girl at school. And there's like really Aww. cool white boy liked me. And then one day at lunch, I sit down with my thermos of rice and the super popular girl comes down and she's like, oh, he doesn't like you. It was just all a joke. And I like remember looking down at my like rice in my thermos and then looking at her like perfect Wonder Bread sandwich and then like back down at mine and just feeling like so ashamed. And it, I didn't like think about it, but it, it felt like I was trying to like displace that shame. You know, it was like I felt like I was yeah. being rejected um, in mm. many senses of the word. And so when you there was a part in the poem where it actually talks about like the mon, like bone marrow soup for lunch. And it was like, oh, my God, that's like a common thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Yeah. Yeah. Go so, ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, how do you think? But then it's, like, messed up because now it's cool, um, like you were saying in the (laughs) poem, right? And it's like, what? Are you serious, guys? Um, And why do you think there exists this almost, like, hierarchy of food shame, almost? Yeah, I mean, it's like who gets to decide what's Mm -hmm. cool, you know? And and so I think it's all about, you know, like, taking back the narrative of, like, what is cool. Like, I I don't need this other validation. Like, we already know why this is cool because it's, I mean, because of all these people and memories attached to these different, you know, parties and, like, um, foods that we share at certain times. So, um, yeah, we don't need these cute white boys to tell us. <laughs> and they're cute. Yeah. We get it. But I think it's also, it's to the point as well, and this is where I'm going to be a nerd for, like, five seconds oh, here. But yeah, do it. It's the same feeling as, like, Sarah and I walked in and, like, you know, watched Black Panther. Hmm. We are not black. We know that. And yet, to see that form of representation on the big screen and, you know, we felt also seen because a lot of hmm. the symbolism of the movie has reflected to um, to to Filipino, indigenous Filipino designs. Um, in which, like, you know, Sarah and I are very much, like, you know, advocates for, and we, we sport um, hand tap tattoos um, and really learn about it and just, like, even seeing that. And I think when we say who controls our narrative, it becomes that. It becomes who's up on the screen, who is on your TV, who's, whose ad is being played when you're browsing on your social media. Is it somebody who you see as you? You know, I mean, I was partly raised in the Philippines, and I thought just because I had brown hair, I was like Kelly Kapowski, (laughs) but I'm not, you know? (laughs) So it's a lot of that, and I think when when we go to school and, like, having those moments, and now we're, like, the coolest things ever, anything that is branded Filipino is marketable now. (laughs) You know, Seafood City as the groceries booming everywhere and opening everywhere, and I'm like... You know, this should have been happening like 10 years ago or like 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, or 
it's interesting because it's like it's it's like I certainly obviously support business you know Filipino businesses Filipino food business especially um, you know who do do put together a great product a great experience um, represent our food well um, and talking about you know our our history and, and how it ties to that. Um, so it's hard, you know, it's kind of like a blessing and a curse, right? It's great to like have all this media exposure because then these businesses who really have been there for a very long, you know, decades, um, and it encourages new businesses too to open up. Um, at the same time, it's like, uh, I think we have to be really careful too about, you know, what's this cool thing? Like, um, what does that mean? Uh, so yeah, we have to be really cognizant of that. And who are we really serving? Yeah, exactly. And, mm-hmm. so, and like, yeah. are we just like profiteering or also exploiting or appropriating our own people? Right. Or are we also promoting this different side of primitive primitivism? Yeah. Because when we go home, everything home meaning the Philippines is like every time we go home, everything is exotic. Everything is like, you know, authentic. And I'm like, fuck that shit. I mean. Mm-hmm. We're all in this, and we're in it for we're all in it for a different reason, and yet we have to be careful of the platforms that we create and how we control that narrative. And that's why Sarah and I are very calculating, and we don't just post for the sake of posting. Mm-hmm. Algorithms don't control our lives. <laughs> SEO does not control our lives I mean, to a certain extent, but. We really talk about it. We talk about what we want to say. We talk about even how we want to say it. How we want to say it. Because even, like, you know, um, upon given this opportunity with you guys, mm. we have talked about it. it. You know, we've been talking about it for weeks on how we want to talk about it. Yeah, that was really refreshing, Coral. And I really want to thank you for um, just opening up the conversation and allowing us to really imagine, like, what kinds of things we could be talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're, we're just, I think, stuck in talking about, you know, appropriation and, like, what's this ingredient? I mean, like, that's important, right? But, like, let's get to the heart of the matter. Mm-hmm. Like, let's get back to people. Let's get back to how this food is serving us. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, actually, that was the perfect way to wrap up that episode. Um, thank you so much for joining me. I've been speaking with Sarah Natalia of Filipino Kitchen. This is meant to be eaten on Heritage Radio Network. And tune in next Tuesday, 4 to 5, where I'll be talking with a chef from the I Collective. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Ever wonder what kind of podcast Julia Child would have made? Probably would have been one where she introduced you to all of her latest discoveries and favorite people. 
And that's exactly the tradition we're following on Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. Join me, Todd Shulkin, your host, and the Foundation's Executive Director, as I bring you inside the Foundation's world to meet the bright lights of today's food universe, just as Julia used to do from her own famous kitchen. New episodes air on Heritage Radio Network, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. Listen in.